Yeah. Even the oil companies. So we get it. Yeah. You know, the American Petroleum Institute supports putting a price on carbon. The, the Chamber of Commerce, the Business Roundtable. Our report was written primarily for the financial regulators, but they can't put a price on carbon. Mm. The financial community can't put a price on carbon. It's got to be governments. And it's not the White House, it's Congress. Hi, listeners. This is Kisa Shreen. We'll be back in the new year with new episodes of the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast. But today, we have a special bonus episode for you featuring a conversation with Bob Litterman, founding partner at Capos Capital. Prior to Capos Capital, Bob led a U.S. subcommittee appointed by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, created to explore climate-related risk during the previous United States administration. Bob caught up with our guest interviewer, Jamie McDonald, in California and chatted about why America hasn't done enough, what needs to happen to put us on the right path, and why it's now time to put a price on carbon. Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat with us. We want to talk specifically about the world of sustainable investing, but just before we do that, let's talk a little bit more about the uh, subcommittee. We were just talking about it earlier. Yeah. It sounds like it was the first of its kind to be formed. And what specifically was the role? Yeah, it was kind of unusual because it was under the previous administration. And one of the commissioners of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, Russ Benham is his name, uh, is a sponsor of a committee called the Market Risk Advisory Committee. They had some hearings on climate-related risk and decided to create a subcommittee. Chairman Benham asked me to chair that committee. I was very honored to do so. There were 35 members of the committee representing a vast uh, diversity of participants in the financial system, including banks, insurance companies, investors, asset owners, corporates, including oil companies, ag companies, data companies, and exchange. Also, a number of academics, a number of environmental NGOs. So we really had a diverse group. And uh, the commissioner said, we'd like you to write a high-level report. He hoped it would be 50 pages, come up with a number of specific recommendations and justifications for those. And he raised kind of a high bar. He said, I'd like it to be unanimous. And uh, I thought, okay, didn't realize how high a bar that is. You realize you have 35 people and any one of them can say no. Okay. And in fact, it was even worse than that because he said, we want not just the individuals represented here, but their organizations. So our draft report went to all the general counsels and they had to sign off on it. This is a very much a cross industry type of report. Yes. So what I'm interested in is at that time, take the financial world, for example, banks and insurance companies, was uh, an aim of the report to try and highlight the fact that they were not appreciating what kind of risk the climate change was, was going to happen to their industry. It was more about pricing into their products that they were selling to clients. Or, or what was the approach of it? No, I don't, I don't think it was either of those. I think it was designed to say, what do we have to do to protect the financial system? That, that's what the financial regulators are supposed to do. Mm. And the commissioner felt, and the commission itself felt, that the other financial regulatory groups, the Financial Stability Oversight Council, the Fed, the SEC, had not addressed climate-related risk mm -hmm. for reasons that are understandable under the previous administration. But it seemed uh, to the Commodity Futures Trading Commission that someone ought to do this. It's interesting, the CFTC is responsible for regulating derivatives markets in the U.S. And so it has a very strong focus on risk management. 
Yeah, I guess one of the main primary uses of derivatives is to manage your own risk. Exactly. So they have a market risk advisory committee, and since no one else was focusing on climate-related risk, they decided to go ahead and do that. And uh, we were very uh, pleased in the end that we were able to write. Actually, we, we accomplished everything the commissioner asked for, except we couldn't keep it to 50 pages. It was like 170 pages. But you got all 35 unanimous votes. We did, yeah. and uh, we got uh, 53 uh, specific recommendations, including, I was very pleased, the first recommendation and the most important and urgent is that we have to put a price on uh, climate risk, on, yeah. on carbon emissions. Yeah. And uh, everyone agreed with that. Actually, that one wasn't hard to get through. The other thing that we got through that I was very pleased with is that climate-related risk, uh, it needs to be disclosed. At the time we wrote this report, there was not adequate disclosure. Now, mm -hmm. uh, we're moving in that direction. There's a lot of work to do, but under the current Financial Stability Oversight Council, which is chaired by Treasury Secretary Yellen, the Fed, the SEC, the CFTC, and all the other financial regulators are now really moving forward with the agenda that we uh, put into this report. And can you talk a little bit about other geographies? Um, has this become a more coordinated event, or is this still something that is more specific? Yeah, something that I think most people don't realize is how far ahead of the U.S. Europe is. Mm -hmm. Europe has strong incentives to reduce emissions. They have strong There's disclosure There's also markets for carbon trading, is that right? Markets for carbon trading that have a very significant price. Mm -hmm. The, the uh, diversity of incentives to reduce emissions across the globe is not appreciated. In Europe, there are incentives over $100 a ton. And so how far do you feel... America, how do you think America is doing now, if you were to give it a grade? It's doing terribly right now. We don't have a price on carbon. Mm. We're not moving in the right direction. We're on the wrong path. I think the good news is the corporate community understands that. You know, everyone supports a price on carbon now in, in the business community, in the finance community. That was unanimous recommendation of ours. There was no pushback. At the first meeting of the subcommittee, I said, you know, I think we need to put a price on carbon. Does anyone disagree? No one, no one said no. And Even the oil companies. So we get it. Yeah. You know, the American Petroleum Institute supports putting a price on carbon. The, the Chamber of Commerce, the Business Roundtable. Our report was written primarily for the financial regulators, but they can't put a price on carbon. Mm. The financial community can't put a price on carbon. It's got to be governments. And it's not the White House. It's Congress. So am I thinking about this right in that let's hope we do get a price set for carbon and then that increases the cost base for those companies and then investors start directing their money away from those companies and then, then there's the financial incentives to stop investing in these companies. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it is about right. I mean, incentives are so important. That's fundamental. People respond to incentives. You want to change behavior? You change incentives. And in a modern capitalist economy, that's wages and prices. Mm -hmm. Right now, we have no price on carbon. There's no incentive to reduce emissions. And so, you know, if pollution is free, people are going to pollute. You know, it's, it's the same in the financial community. If risks aren't priced correctly, then, you know, capital flows in the wrong direction. And this is absolutely the case. The only caveat I would say, and it's an important caveat, is that investors are forward-looking. And so if I'm sitting here today thinking about a capital investment over the next 20 years, it's not just the price of carbon today. It's my expectations of the incentives to reduce emissions mm -hmm. over the lifetime of the investment that's going to drive the capital. And what you are seeing these days is a rapid change in expectations of those incentives. And so capital is starting to flow in the right direction, especially long-term capital. 
but you know, it's not fast enough and we have to move. And if they're disappointed because we don't get those incentives, well then it's a step in the wrong direction. And we don't have any time to waste. Right. We should have done this 20 years ago, we wouldn't have a problem. Instead, we have an existential threat to the well-being of future generations. And that risk is growing, uh, you know, very, it's quick, growing faster now than it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, we had time. Yeah. Today, we have no time. In fact, it's too late. We are seeing catastrophic impacts of climate change already. We can't turn back the clock. The best we can do is preserve the well-being of future generations. And every day that we delay mm. is a step in the wrong direction. So speaking of future generations, are you somewhat hopeful given, and I hate to generalize and call millennials, but let's say people under the age of 35 are just so much more environmentally aware than the older generations. Does that give you a glimmer of hope that this can change faster? Or is it still too late by the time they're making decisions? Well, it gives me a lot of hope. And I think we're on the a cusp of you know, globally harmonized pricing, mm -hmm. at which point the whole capital markets will move in the right direction, technology will be developed, people will have the right incentives. And I think we'll make a lot faster progress than people expect. So that gives me hope that every day that goes by that we haven't done it yeah. is a problem. I was watching an interview recently with a man called Robert Friedland. I don't know if you know who he is from, from Ivanhoe. And he was really saying that we are just going to have to transform the world away from hydrocarbons into electric. But we just don't have that the electric grid infrastructure right now. And actually, his point was that China was slightly ahead of the U.S. A lot of the U.S. electrical grids are still quite dated. So we need this big infrastructure spend to go into having the capability to, to have enough electricity because we all take for granted that, you know, when we switch on the lights, the lights comes on. But if everyone's driving a Tesla, is it going to be ready for that? No, you're right. There's a lot of money that has to go into the grid, uh, making it available for intermittent sources of uh, electricity like solar, like mm. wind. We need backup storage. We need a base load mm. uh, that doesn't create uh, pollution. Maybe that's nuclear, maybe that's batteries or hydrogen. The technology has to be developed. But I'm sure it will be developed. It's just what's the most efficient technology is the only issue. But it won't be developed fast enough unless we have those incentives in place. Even with Biden's infrastructure plan? Uh, yeah, no. We, uh, you, you, you have to start with a price on carbon. Yeah. That, if you don't get yeah. that, right. infrastructure won't do the trick. Right. And we don't have a price on carbon yet. Bob, so final question I wanted to ask you is we're asking a lot of people um, about their outlook. So in five years' time, call it 2026, do you think we'll have a price of carbon by then? Are you, do you feel that we'll be taking the right steps by then? How do you sort of see the world of sustainable investing by then? Absolutely, we will have a price on carbon and we will be on the road to net zero. Corporations will make their pledges, they'll have their targets, they'll be uh, making progress. I'm sure we all will. There's a lot of uncertainty about what the technology will be, uh, how these will develop, but I have no doubt that by then in five years, you know, either we're on the road to net zero at that point or it's too late. Right. OK. But are conferences like COP26, are they helpful or is it too much just lip service? Well, so far, the U.N. process has not delivered. Let's mm. be honest about that. However, they are now moving to develop the mechanisms, the government, the governance to allow for globally harmonized pricing. So that's a key step. I think the next step that's uh, being developed right now is the ability to create a market, a global market for carbon credits. Yeah. C credits that are real, that are reliable, that can be used in 
the compliance markets. And uh, when that happens, that opens up the gates for investors to start investing in these technologies, investing in uh, reducing emissions, and, uh, and we're off to the races. So I'm excited about all that. There's a lot of opportunities as well as a lot of risk. Now, if most of the world is committed to, to net zero within a pretty short time frame, um, how do you feel about China and, and I know India just said they'd commit to it, but only by 2070, I think, which seems a long way out. Does, does that give cause for concern? Well, the, the relationship between China and the U.S. is key, and right now it's a bit fraught. Right. But you have to understand China's way ahead of the U.S. in terms of having a federal uh, electricity, clean electricity standard, in terms of the number of electric vehicles, the number of electric buses, the uh, amount of solar and wind. They're just uh, racing forward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're behind. In terms of the infrastructure. In terms of the infrastructure, in terms of pricing, in terms of many different things. It's really kind of sad. The U.S. should be providing leadership. We haven't been. Where are we? Right. That's the problem. Well, let's hope that all changes. But Bob, it's been really great chatting with you today. Thank you so much for your time. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think of the podcast? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. Thank you for joining and see you next time.